there, this is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Liz Delacroce of the popular food, travel, and lifestyle blog, The Lemon Bowl. Based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Liz has been sharing delicious recipes since 2010 and has been inspiring readers with her weight loss journey, her family's Middle Eastern cuisine, and travel. She is also the founder of the Passion to Profit podcast, where she shares her passion for entrepreneurship. And fun fact, sriracha is always on her table, which is one reason I know I would be happy to eat at her house. I am so excited to welcome Liz to the podcast. Hey, Liz. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Um, We could do fall fall Sunday any day together. Yes. Oh my gosh. You share my fall love. I do. (laughs) You you understand. I do. I get it. I always start by asking, what was the first thing that you ever learned how to cook and about how old were you? Oh, great question. It was definitely hummus. My great aunt Vive was the matriarch that would make it. And I probably started learning it around seven. And I would just, I remember the counter was higher than my head. So I remember just kind of peeking over it. And then eventually as I got older, but I was always drawn to the kitchen when she was making hummus. And it was not even just about making it. It was how she would style it and uh, garnish it before serving it. You know, she'd put scallions and toasted pine nuts that were like toasted in ghee and chopped Mm. parsley and she really made food beautiful, which I think looking back now, I can see where I probably get that from. But hummus was definitely that first recipe. Oh, I love that. Wow. She was ahead of her time. She was honestly. styling her food. <laughs> and honestly, back then, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, hummus wasn't like it is now where it's like ketchup. No one knew, at least where I live in the Midwest, hummus was this like obscure, creamy dip <laughs> that everyone would come to my house and be like, what is this? And they couldn't stop eating it. But no one really knew what it was. So we always joke that our great aunt Vee would be rolling in her grave if she knew what hummus had become today. And we really celebrate the fact that everybody is eating it. Oh my gosh. It's so true. You know, you think back to all those foods that when you were a kid and people would just like at the lunch table, would you bring hummus? And would people be like, what's oh, yeah. that? <laughs> Literally, they, they didn't know what it was, but I will say most people really just wanted to dive in. Luckily, I didn't, I don't remember too many people being off put by it surprisingly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. So could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what life looked like before you started the lemon bowl? Sure. So my name is Liz. I'm a 40 year old mom of two. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I started the lemon bowl in 2010 after achieving some weight loss success. And like anyone who loses weight, everybody wants to know, what are you eating? How'd you do it? And as someone who's been cooking her whole life, I didn't really understand at first that not everybody can just go in the kitchen and make something delicious out of what they have on hand. So I realized that they're not going to be able to take me saying, oh, you know, some of this and that and really make it into anything. I had to really write a recipe for them. And that would be the easiest way for them to understand how I eat to maintain a healthy lifestyle. So that was really the inspiration behind the blog. And the reason for the lemon bowl is, as you probably guessed, lemons are prevalent in our diet as a Middle Eastern family. We put lemons when we marinate chicken on top of, of course, hummus, salad dressings. I put it in my smoothies. I feel like lemon really wakes up any dish that you eat. Mm-hmm. So that's where the lemon bowl came from. 
Okay, I have to ask, do you have a lemon tree? Uh, funny enough, I have a little one growing in my backyard that <laughs> does not yet have any lemons on it. It's been, of course, this is the best time of year in Michigan for it to <laughs> ever maybe happen one day. It is growing. I got it as a gift. I think it's been a year now, but there's no fruit happening yet. So I still, I literally go to my local farmer's market and I, I mean, there's just certain things that don't grow here like lemons. So I unfortunately don't always shop local when it comes to lemons. They're just don't grow very well in Michigan, <laughs> but I do have a lemon tree and it's really cute. Oh, I can't wait till it starts producing fruit. <laughs> okay. So we have to talk about Middle Eastern cuisine. Um, this is my favorite thing when it comes to you and the food that you share. And you talk to us about your aunt. Tell us some more about the women in your, in yeah. your life. So I'm very lucky. There's a lot of women on both sides of my family. My dad's side is Jewish and, you know, technically Israel's in the Middle East. And so it's really the same region in a sense. Um, and so I really was surrounded by aunts, grandmas, uh, my mom, all women in the kitchen cooking from scratch all the time. And it really just, for whatever reason, I was drawn to them. Now, I have two sisters, neither of which is into cooking. So huh. it's not, it's genetic thing. We're like, isn't it funny how certain people are just drawn to cooking and some aren't? Um, I just always want to be in the kitchen. That's where all the activity was. <laughs> you know me, I'm a social butterfly. So I probably mm -hmm. was just like, drawn to the energy and the laughter and the, you know, the jokes. And I just found myself wanting to be in the kitchen. And eventually my mom just let me take over. And oh. that was, yeah, that was, she was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really how it started. I've got two younger sisters. So pretty quickly I was cooking for five people every night. I was and you're the oldest, right? You're the, the oldest, sister. right? <laughs> the small mom. And my, my youngest is 10 years younger. So you know, I was able to drive to the grocery store, you know, I could really handle a lot. And I'm the cliche, like firstborn child that probably wanted to make everybody happy and proud. So I really loved cooking dinner. And I'm grateful that my mom let me just kind of do whatever I want in the kitchen. There was never like recipes printed out. I would just watch her and then do it myself. That's so nice that she gave you free lease to, because normally some people would be like, hold on, this is my kitchen. A lot of matriarchs, <laughs> a lot of matriarchs, it's almost like a source of pride. They don't want people helping. Yeah. Um, so I really try to remember that when my boys, now Grant, I don't really have the problem of them begging to help. That might be a, I don't know if that's a daughter thing, if that was just a Liz thing, but uh, I do though, when they are interested, always involve them because I feel like you can't really, um, trade that skill, a life skill, especially little boys. I want them to learn to cook. So just, you know, you gotta, gotta, if you are a parent, you need to just swallow the mess and it's not going to be perfect, but please let them in the kitchen. Cause that's really going to treat, that's going to pay off forever for them. What are their favorite dishes to make with you? Okay. So my youngest son loves making tacos. We have a griddle in the middle of our stove top. So he loves to, you know, fry up the tortillas and warm them up. We, uh, you know, we go to the Hispanic grocery store together and we buy all the specialty items. So he loves that. He loves that. We make cactus salad all the time and beans. Mm -hmm. So he loves that. My oldest, who's nine, he loves soups. So we make chilies, chicken noodle soup. He loves anything super late. He goes out for pho with me. Um, and so we try to make soups at least once a week. Um, and they're just all about it, even in the summer. So did anything change in terms of the way you start, you were cooking when the boys came into your life? Um, to be honest, not really. 
you know, we don't do kids food. I didn't grow up. We didn't really have, uh, we did not have kids food growing up. So there were no fish sticks or tater tots, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so my kids really didn't change it other than, you know, I take them with me to the farmer's market now and I have them try everything we eat. We go out to different restaurants all the time. But honestly, that was all stuff I was doing before children. So I, I really can't say anything changed because I just feel like my parents didn't really dumb it down for me. So I don't really want to dumb it down for them. And same thing, like right now we're incorporating spicy foods and I just think it's time. <laughs> well, amen to not dumbing it down because that was my pet peeve, you know, before I was a parent and mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my kids will never, you know, I'm not going to cook just for them. You know, you learn a lot afterwards. You, you realize mm -hmm. they're going to go through some picky phases. But my oh, goal yeah. was always, you know, you're just going to eat what the rest of the family is eating. Um, if they're hungry enough, they'll eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how else are you going to be, you know, exposed to all these wonderful flavors if you're just eating buttered noodles every day? A hundred percent. I think the problem yeah. is that we, I read this one somewhere, and I think it's so true that Somehow we got into this pattern in America where kids come home from school at three and from three to five, they're snacking. So you wonder why six o'clock rolls around and they don't want to eat that healthy, nutritious plate of food you've prepared. Well, they've been snacking for two to three hours. And I just think that that after school mindless snacking, you know, they're not hungry. So if a kid's not hungry, they're definitely not going to dive into a salad. Right, right. That's so true. Isn't that true? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that, like that three o'clock to five o'clock time is so, you're right. Everyone's in the kitchen looking for something to eat. Like my husband will literally ask me what's for dinner at three, like almost expecting it to be soon because sure. they're just hungry. They're hungry right? <laughs> exactly. That's why I feel like I drink coffee at that time. Mm, yeah. No. And then I think back to like, you know, when we had our French exchange student, she was telling us, oh, you know, they don't get home until after maybe six. Oh, so then it's dinner. It just it and makes so smart. Right. So maybe keep them at school longer. Um, or do, do they start school a little later, too? <sighs> That's a good question. I it's remember not... reading that maybe somewhere they do. Who knows? But I, I think that is smart. They do have a longer day and then they have a full like at least hour for lunch. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. My kids have like 11 minutes. It's crazy. Yes. Like it's you get so food weird. back and you're like, why did you not have time to eat but this? We didn't have time. And that's why they come home starving. And then they're not, you know, you don't usually have dinner ready. So it's snacks. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, lo and behold, come dinner time. <laughs> yeah. So what are their favorite Lebanese foods? Okay. So they really love meat stuffed grape leaves. So I know, I think in the Greek tradition, they're typically vegetarian, just rice, but Lebanese or Syrian, I'm actually Syrian, uh, mm -hmm. Syrian stuffed grape leaves are stuffed with meat and rice and lemon juice and salt and pepper. It couldn't be any easier. It's literally just ground beef, rice, lemon juice, salt, pepper, Yum. but you roll them in grape leaves and you cook them for 15 minutes. My kids could eat a whole pot of those. They're just so good. They also really love kafta which is a ground meat on a stick with parsley, onion, and spices. It's so darn good. Uh, and anything wrapped in a pita, they're all about. <laughs> so what would you say to someone who is venturing into Middle Eastern cuisine for the first time? Like, what would be your tips for them? Okay. I would say you've got to start with a good Lebanese salad. And that just means whatever salad you have on hand, you know, right now, whatever's in season, but whatever your favorite veggies are, put it in a bowl. And the dressing is really the secret. And it's simple. It's olive oil, lemon juice, 
garlic, fresh garlic. I use a microplane to grate it so that it becomes like a paste. Mm -hmm. And then you want to add a little bit of dried mint or fresh mint. So if you have mint growing in your garden right now, it's great in a salad. And then if you have it, za'atar would be great sprinkled on top. And you just toss it up. My kids will devour a whole bowl of it. And, you know, my kids don't know what Hidden Valley Ranch is. And I think that's because, like, we're just making really delicious lemon and olive oil-based salads every night. So good. Yeah. Who needs, who needs the bottled stuff? You've got right. the good stuff. <laughs> exactly. And then the same thing is you can really marinate meat. Like, I have a really great chicken to wook recipe that we make a lot, which is just cubes of chicken in lemon, olive oil, garlic. Honestly, all you need is lemon, olive oil, and garlic and salt and pepper. And you can saute it. You could grill it. You can honestly oven bake it in a sheet pan. And that's really good with hummus and a pita or a tahini sauce or just on top of that Syrian salad. Oh, sounds so good. Okay, where do you find your grape leaves, by the way? Well, ironically, I have them growing in my yard, but I don't use those ones. But I do randomly, which is crazy. Uh, So people will sometimes come and like cut them, but I get them in a jar and you can find them online on Amazon, but you can also find them at most major grocery stores as well as any sort of international market. They're pretty um, common now, especially because they're used in different cultures, not just Middle Eastern. Um, My favorite brand is Ziad, Z-I-Y-A-D. I just feel like they're always really big and easy to roll. They don't, they're not broken up. So that's my preferred. I always wondered uh, if you preferred jarred versus canned because I've seen the canned ones. Oh, too. I've only jarred, like a glass jar. I've never okay. used canned. I don't know if they're bad. I just I don't think I see them as much. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to find out. But right. <laughs> okay, so you talk about some really sensitive subjects on your site and on Instagram. You talk yep. about weight loss. You talk about infertility. Has being vulnerable like worried you at all, being so public? You know, I what I've learned is that I talk about it when I'm ready to talk about it. So I didn't talk about my weight loss story until years after I had lost the weight. And similarly, I didn't talk about my infertility story until years after I had kids. And I think that that's the biggest lesson is that you don't want to ever talk about something because you feel like you have to or because you're obligated to. Because then it's not, it's going to come off disingenuine, not authentic, and you won't be in the right mindset to handle any sort of feedback that might come your way. Mm, I say it and, yeah. So do it when you're ready to do it. And that way you just are, you're in the right mindset. Don't force anything. And so I really waited. Um, I know with my infertility story, I was, you know, nervous to talk about it. I was afraid that someone would read it who hadn't yet uh, you know, had their child or gotten pregnant or adopted or however they finished their family, I was worried they would read it and think like, oh, well, she's lucky she got pregnant. And I realized in time that it was more helpful to share stories of hope than to just pretend that we didn't have a good ending. So I decided to do it, but it, that took me some time. So just wait until you're ready. I think that's a really, really good point. Uh, Sometimes people just are in a rush to, to talk about things. And you're right. You know, you need to be in a good mindset to be able to process comments that you're going to get back oh, yeah. from people. Do you feel that um, people are just more engaged with you that way because you are vulnerable? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, my weight loss story was the first time my blog really went, quote unquote, viral. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that is probably a testament that people really connect to those raw, truthful stories. And, you know, 
I didn't share it to go viral. I just shared it because I wanted to inspire someone that might be like me. And really, that's just what I try to do is inspire other people that look like me that, you know, no, you don't have to have a personal trainer or be a size two or whatever it might be. I'm just a normal working mom that owns a business and has little kids. And, you know, I found a way to make it work. And I promise if I can do it, you can do it too. And that was really just, I was so passionate about that because I remember before I started my weight loss journey, just feeling like you see these stories and it's just so unrelatable. Hmm. Um, They just have personal chefs and private trainers and all these things. And it just seemed like, well, of course they're a celebrity or they're on the biggest loser TV show or whatever else it was. And I just really wanted to share like a normal woman in the Midwest that, you know, is still just a size 10 you know, I, I, you know, I feel like it's more relatable. Yeah. So you talk about the 80, 20 rule Mm -hmm. on your site. You've done your research. I have. Well, I I follow you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you tell everyone a bit about that? Cause I think that's a really good way to approach life in general. Oh yeah. I agree. So I really believe in the 80, 20 rule because it's something that you can maintain for your entire life. So unlike fad diets and things like that, really drastic measures, for example, we all know sugar is not the best thing to be consuming, but to think that you can give it up for the rest of your life, I don't think so because sugar isn't just about everything you buy. You go to a birthday party for your kid or your friend has you over for dinner and it's, it's, you're on vacation and they bring you out a free dessert because it's your anniversary. Good luck avoiding sugar your whole life. If you know how to do that, sell that and you'll make lots of money. But I don't think you can. Instead, the secret is to live by the 80-20 rule, knowing that 80% of the time you eat clean, exercise, drink your water. 20% of the time, you might have a martini, you might have dessert, you might skip a day at the gym. And the other reason that's so important is because when you are trying to reach a healthy living goal, whether it's losing weight, getting stronger, building more muscle, whatever it might be, when you quote unquote mess up, it can be discouraging mentally. Mm. We both know that our brain is everything. (laughs) So if your brain's not right, your body's not gonna get right. And when you quote unquote mess up, let's say you, you know, consume something that isn't ideal, French fries, let's just say, Mm -hmm. if you don't live by the 80-20 rule, you're gonna think to yourself, oh no, I'm off course, I messed up the whole day, I might as well just get that dessert, another cocktail you know what, forget, I'm too tired for the gym. You just kind of make the whole day a wash or you make the whole week a wash because you're now discouraged, you're mad at yourself, you're ashamed, whatever it might be, you kind of go down this like downward spiral. If you live by the 80-20 rule, you just know that, oh, no, 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 this is part of the plan. This is part of the, I'm on track. I'm following the plan. This is 20%. I didn't do anything wrong. Vacation is part of the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, going to dinner for my anniversary is part of the plan. So I think that that is a much easier way. And I can say that now because it's been, I think, 15 or 16 years now since I lost the weight. And I've, you know, had two babies and had to do it two more times. So I've technically lost the weight three times. And <laughs> I think really the only way, reason I've been able to keep it off is because of the 80-20 rule. Yeah, no, I think it's a really balanced way to live for mm-hmm. for everybody, whether or not you have a weight loss goal or not. Whatever, exa- anything in life. Yeah. Yeah, business goals, whatever. You know, anything, I just think 80-20 is so much more feasible and doable and maintainable. I'm a big fan of things you can maintain long-term. 
Yeah. So how do you use the 80-20 rule when it comes to work? Because I am curious okay. how you balance everything that you do. Okay. That's a good question. So I would say one example, and of course you could, there's so many different ways to interpret the 80-20 rule. But let's say, for example, if you are looking at your week ahead or your month ahead or your quarterly goals, whatever it might be, you really want to think about you know, what your goal, let's say you have a goal, you want to make more money or grow revenue. Generally speaking, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients or, or 20% or whatever it might be. Um, and so where I think can happen is that people get so distracted, they have all these new ideas they want to do. And, you know, and then, you know, especially if you're an entrepreneur, or you're a visionary, it's natural to have all these great ideas. But if you really want to grow your business, you've got to focus on that that key area, that 20%. Maybe it's the 20% of your clients that brings in 80% of your revenue. Really focus on developing those relationships, providing them with more value, you know, thinking of new ways to work together because that's really going to pay off the most as opposed to focusing on the 80%, which only brings in like 20% of your revenue. Mm -hmm. So... Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. No. And in a way, I kind of see that as, you know, I, th I think when I started realizing, oh, I need to start delegating, for example, yep. um, am I going to focus the delegation on the 80% of the stuff or the 20% stuff mm -hmm. you know, and making that decision? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that 80-20 rule is, is just, you know, so relevant in so many different areas. Um, anything that you want to really improve, I just think it's a good way to kind of break it down to be obtainable. Very, very. Oh, so anyway, in terms of entrepreneurship, yeah. you have to tell us a little bit more about Vince, Vince okay. McIntosh, because yeah. you partnered with him. You guys started the Irie Lemon podcast. How did this, how did you guys meet? How did this all start? <laughs> uh, right. Like we're not supposed to know each other because we are, you know, here's the deal. He's a 24 year old Jamaican. He's so first of all, we're different genders. We're different religions, different cultures. We live in different sides of town, uh, different generations, everything different. So on paper, you know, we're not really supposed to be working together, know each other, friends, etc. And what happened was where it all started, his best friend, Parker, messaged me when Vince opened his restaurant, which is called Irie Kitchen. It's an organic Jamaican uh, Caribbean street food restaurant. So good. And he just said, hey, Liz, um, I didn't know who Parker was, but he followed me. And he's like, hey, I know you're really big into taking your kids out for ethnic food. And my best friend just opened an organic Jamaican restaurant. And I know you're into healthy eating. You should go check it out sometime. Here's the address. And I was like, okay, he pays attention because we probably eat out you know, we don't ever go to American chains. We just not burger pizza people. My husband probably wishes we were, <laughs> but we're generally eating at, you know, restaurants that are run by first generation Americans. And that's just how I grew up eating family owned local families, food made from scratch with inspiration from different places from around the world. And the fact that he knew that I was like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to that. Um, cause generally you get those pitches from those big box local companies that have PR firms and, yeah. you know, I can't go to every restaurant opening in town. I live in a much smaller city than you, so I can only imagine, but <laughs> I get a lot and I'm sure you do too. And, but this was like, okay, I'm going to go support that local Jamaican family. That is more compelling to me. And that is really what the lemon bowl is all about. So we went there. 
I met Vince. Um, you know, we, it's 20 minutes away. So I probably started off just going like a couple times a year. I would say about a year after going, he really started pressuring me into um, doing a podcast together. And if you know Vince, he once his mind is set on something, he's going to go for it and make it happen. And he won't like stop until you say yes. Initially, I was like, well, no, a podcast is a lot of work. Um, I don't know if I can keep it up. You know, and he his whole thing was that he knew I had more to talk about than food. And he knew that there was more to me than being a blogger. And or as he says it, you know, you look at my Instagram locally, people think I'm just like this rich white mom in East Grand Rapids that buys stock photography. Like he really didn't even know, like people often don't even know if I cook, if I take the photos, like you know, if you look at an Instagram profile, sometimes you don't know. <laughs> well, how are you to know? Like, yeah, right. you're right. Anybody, especially now people are using people's photos all the time. A hundred percent. Right. And I didn't know I had that perception as being a rich housewife, which, you know, isn't my goal in life. So it's just funny. It's funny to get that perspective of a 24 year old guy. It's yeah. so, it's just funny. And to his point though, he was like, Liz, you're a business person. You're an entrepreneur if it wasn't a blog, you could be in real estate, you could be doing all these different things. I think that you have a lot to share that people would want to hear. And that was really his main thing. And what happened was we started talking on the phone a lot. And he was like, Liz, these conversations need to go on the podcast. People want to hear these because both him and I get questions like I'm sure you do of like, Hey, how'd you get into business? How'd you start it? And he owns a restaurant and he opened it at 20. So people are constantly asking him, you know, how'd you do that? Like, what's it like? Do you have any advice? And, you know, we can't meet everybody up for coffee. So we thought the blog or excuse me, the podcast would be a good way to help more people and have more of an impact. So that's really how um, our podcast started. And then this January, we rebranded it to the Passion to Profit podcast, because really our goal is showing people how we turned our passions into profit. Wow. I love how he recognized that you had so much to say. I know. Like, you know, but if he's right though, because like anyone who meets you knows, like that's why I know, like, oh my gosh, like I could probably talk to you all day about all the things. Um because you are a wealth of information. Huh. And and I like the way you know you run your business and just your thoughts behind it. It's just oh, thank you. you're very strategic, which is super good. Really? It's funny because I don't I probably am more than I realize. You know how sometimes in the blogging world, there's so many strategic people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I'm not strategic because, you know, there's just, you know how that is. You're never doing all the things. And and mm-hmm. also because I really love pho, for example, you know, I know I'd probably get more hits making brownies and cookies or poke cake or the, what's the, the cat, the, the tater tot casseroles, like the Midwest. Right you know, all the hot people. dishes. Right. And, but I just didn't, A, I don't eat it like for my health. And then B, I didn't grow up eating it. And I just, that's not the food I gravitate towards. So in some ways I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, that this is the food I want to eat. I don't care if it's going to be the most popular food or the most hits on or go viral on Pinterest. This is just the food that I like to eat. Um, so sometimes I think I'm not strategic, but I probably am more than I realize. <laughs> you and I are the same way. I mean, I, th- I think about the first five years of my blog and I just cooked whatever I wanted to cook. I named it whatever I wanted to name right. it. <laughs> right. Um, Those would probably be my favorite recipes. Yes. I'm going to go back and look. <laughs> I agree. I know sometimes I do go back and reshoot them. and then, Oh, yeah. The photos. Yikes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so bad. Oh my gosh. So we've been doing this for 10 years now. If you could give someone who might be listening some advice, if they're just starting out, what would you say to them? Okay, great question. I would say a couple things. One, put blinders on. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't focus on anywhere other than what you're up to. So put those blinders on, stay in your lane, and just focus on what you want to do. And don't worry about what others think about it. I know one of the biggest lessons I learned early on was to do things to benefit my readers, not things that I think other bloggers want me to do or will impress other bloggers. Do what I think my readers would benefit from, what would be helpful to your readers. So always make your decisions based on your readers, not based on what your colleagues. And I think that sounds obvious, but you know how that goes, where sometimes I remember when I first, uh, I outsourced all my photography. And I remember when I first made that decision, I was nervous about what other food bloggers would think like, oh my gosh, she is lazy. She doesn't <laughs> like to take photographs. She doesn't even know how to buy a DSLR camera. And I realized I was worrying about the wrong thing and the wrong mm -hmm. people. So that would be my advice. Stay in your lane, put those blinders on. I love that. You know, there's just too, as we said before, there's always something to keep up with. There's something new. There's a new yeah. algorithm and there's just a new trend. And we're all like little sheep. Following. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's so good to just make sure you do this for you and you do it for your readers because that's what matters the most. And if you yeah. don't, then there won't be longevity. No, you can't stick with something. You know, if I did caramel brownies, I couldn't do that long term. I would just lose interest. So eventually I need to do something that I genuinely want to make and eat. Otherwise, I won't stick with it. And I think that that's the biggest secret is that if you're only doing it to make fetch happen or to go viral, I can't fathom you being able to like do that long term. Um, I just also don't think you'd be very influential. Mm. Because are you really a trusted food authority or are you just trying to either make the most money or work with the most brands? I don't know. I just, I hope that like people know that anything I'm posting is because I genuinely eat it, like it, care about it and think you would like it too. Yeah. No, I think it shows. I think you can tell, you know, when people are genuine about their food um, and when they're not. <laughs> I think people are savvy. You got to remember, like people are smart. People can tell. Yeah. Okay. So I have to just ask this too. So you've outsourced your photography. What are, what are other things that you have let go? Oh, so many things, all the things. So I'm a big fan of, especially with having Irene lemon and the lemon bowl. That was really a big tipping point for me, adding a second business. Mm -hmm. And now I have two different teams and that was just one of those moments where I was like, okay, something's got to give. This is a little overwhelming. So um, basically we'll just talk about the lemon bowl, but I have someone that manages my Facebook and my Pinterest. I still handle Instagram and I have a copywriter that helps optimize my blog posts for SEO. I have a photographer. Um, I develop all the recipes, style them and I'm, I cook them with my photographer. I know some bloggers, like the photographer cooks it and makes it and styles it. She mm -hmm. comes into my house and we, we cook together. So, and we get to eat it together, which is the best part. That's uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and what else? Obviously my husband is just a godsend. He does what most bloggers probably would have to pay for. So for example, all the bookkeeping, I'm an S corp. So all of that bookkeeping work, 
taxes, invoicing help, um, website stuff, email stuff. We use a program with our team called Teams. Uh, and so he helps with that. And then the other, the newest addition to my team, which was probably the most pivotal lately, was my operations manager who I brought on this last December. Oh. Okay, this was the best thing ever. And this person is essentially the point person for all the contractors. Because what I found was that eventually there were so many contractors that now I was just so busy handling contractors all day. So that didn't really like fix the issue. <laughs> Give yes. Me because by the way, my overall goal is to allow me more time to focus on selling, building relationships, you know, getting more clients. Um, that's really my passion. I come from a sales background. So I want to, I would rather be, you know, fostering relationships with clients than anything else uh, other than cooking. Um, so anyways, my operations manager came on. She's amazing. Her name's Jessica. And so she really is like an extension of me. So Basically, it's like I, I always say I want more Liz. She's more Liz. So oh, that's like my dream. <laughs> she thinks the way I do. Every We're always on the same page. Jess, if you're listening, shout out to you. You're the best. Um, I'm just so grateful for her. And um, yeah, she's been really helpful. And that way, too, it's nice because then the contractors can all um, contact her anytime. And she's very responsive to them. So I think it's really a win-win for everybody. Oh, I think that's the goal. Yeah, I highly <laughs> recommend it. It's it's worthwhile. Okay. I'm going to ask you one final question before we wrap up because I okay. know time is precious. But, okay, travel is important to you. It always yeah. has been. You were one of the first people that I knew, you know, when things started opening up, who yeah. got on a plane and went somewhere. I was like, wow, she's ballsy. I know. Um, <laughs> so what are your tips for people who are getting ready to go travel again and hopefully enjoy life outside of their house. Right. So I would say, first of all, just really lower your expectations. Travel looks different now. You probably already noticed that if you've gone out to eat lately, there's a huge, you know, I come from the hospitality industry. So I, because of that, a lot of my connections and friends are still in the industry. So I'm very, you know, like we all are, but as you know, we're, there's just not enough people working in the hospitality industry anymore. And so everyone is short staffed. And I would just say, pack your patience. It's yeah. going to be different. Nothing is the same anymore. We didn't just click our fingers and get back. You know, Vince firsthand can just say it's really hard. You know, you know, it's hard for him to fill positions in his restaurant. And, you know, I've heard that just from anywhere, including the airlines. So you're getting a lot of canceled flights because they don't have enough crew. So pack your patience, but you know, also pack your gratitude and perspective just to be grateful to be traveling. Um, because one of the reasons is I, that I did try to travel when I could is because so many jobs and also so many parts of the world, their entire economy is based on tourism. Mm -hmm. So uh, I remember when I went to the Dominican Republic and Turks and Caicos, well, their entire industry, their main industry is tourism. So I think sometimes we forget that livelihoods are really dependent upon this industry, which was hit harder than probably any other industry. It's been interesting how some industries really grew and yeah. others, there were winners and losers, right? Well, the hospitality industry really lost during the pandemic. So anything we can do to support and get back out there, I would say tip really well when you're eating mm -hmm. out, tip hard because we should just be grateful that they went back to a really you know, the reality is working in a restaurant is not for the faint of heart. Oh, even it's, during normal times. Correct. So imagine now, and you know, unfortunately it's like, 
you know, people have such expectations and attitudes. And I just feel like people need to just relax, be grateful that they're not in their house for once cooking and be patient, pack your patience and throw your expectations out the window and tip well. Super good advice. <laughs> I'm ready to go on a trip now. Me too. <laughs> okay. Some really quick closing questions. Yeah. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an emergency dinner? Oh, that is a great one. It's actually my five minute wonton soup. I always have wontons in the freezer and I always have frozen shrimp in the freezer. And obviously I have chicken broth and then I always keep a well-stocked pantry with sesame oil, soy sauce, whatever I decide in that moment, ginger. Um, I buy like jars of ginger uh, where it's like ginger and garlic mixed together. And it's like pre ground or pre it's like grated. Oh, it's actually often um, I think it's an Indian brand, but I find it at any sort of international market anyways. So I always have it like in the refrigerator um, anyways, it sounds a complex, but it takes five minutes. You can find the recipe in the lemon bowl and you know, you just add frozen wontons and frozen shrimp. And then I try to add, if I have some like bok choy or cabbage, some, or even just spinach, some greens instead of noodles. I don't really yeah. add noodles to it just to kind of keep it, but I just love like a soup and the soup is just easy to make. It's one, one bowl. And it's super filling, nourishing. You can add veggies to it, protein to it. It's like a one-stop shop meal. So soups are always my quick go-to. And you don't need to, not every soup needs to take eight hours. <laughs> I agree. Soups are my go-to also. And yeah. for the same reason, it's comforting. It's quick. If you have chicken broth, you're halfway there. <laughs> you're halfway there. I mean, God bless canned chicken broth. Yeah. So much flavor. It's such a powerful ingredient. Yeah. Okay. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Gosh, I would say my Syrian salad. It's it, it'd be tied with the hummus because I remember for me the reason it's so special was I remember the year that I was allowed to make it for the holidays. The older matriarchs finally like passed the hummus and salad torch to me. I think for years it's like you know, especially at Christmas, you don't want to risk like having a kid make it. <laughs> so the year that I was finally allowed to bring the hummus and the salad to the, cause I'm sure you're similar where your holidays, you have a mixture of like American food and your, yeah. your family's food, the food yeah. you want to eat. So for us, we always have Syrian food as well as like the Turkey or whatever. So when I was able to bring the Syrian salad and hummus to the family holidays, that's when I knew I had made it. So those recipes just really mean a lot to me. So guys, I think if you're listening, please make one or the other. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like it's one of those recipes. I've had people like Vince has had some like these young guy friends of his that like never ate a salad before and hated vegetables and they eat my salad and they're like, oh my God, they like devour it. You know, it's just, yeah. I just think it's funny. It's just because there's garlic and salt, by the way. Well, those are the magic ingredients. <laughs> Can't live without garlic. So true. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Very messy. God bless my husband, Rich, who does the dishes. Um, Vince always tries to tell me, clean as you go. Uh, like when we do pop-up events and things like that, you know, or, or we do a cooking show together, he's always, you know, he's a little bit tidier being in the restaurant. But I think because I'm in my house, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a tidy cook. I wish I was. Same here. Oh, goodness. I What's can tell good you, wait, another thing I've help, gotten help with is I have a kitchen assistant come on my phone. Oh. Highly recommend that if any food bloggers are listening, because that just allows me to cook in so many more recipes. 
by having Taylor is the best. She's amazing. And she just like washes ingredients and, you know, helps keep the counter clean. Cause I really am like a tornado in the kitchen. Yes. Yes. I, I used to have an assistant and, oh, I miss her so much. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. It makes a difference. You can do a lot more with it. Yeah. Okay. So what's a good kitchen tip other than having an assistant? Okay. Like a cooking tip? A cooking yeah. tip? Okay. Yeah. I would say anything good starts with fresh garlic and you can't have too much. So I would say a couple things. Add more salt than you think you need. I think when we cook at home, we forget that restaurants are adding a lot of salt, mm -hmm. especially if you're cooking from scratch. So if you're working with raw vegetables and meat and protein, they need seasoning. So don't be cheap with the salt and pepper. Um, don't be afraid to use a little heat, but you've got to just start experimenting with it. So buy maybe a jalapeno one week and try a little bit of it or buy a red Fresno chili pepper or whatever it might be. Just experiment with it. Try it out. You know, Vince always says he learned how to cook with things because his dad made him taste everything. Mm -hmm. so that's the thing. You're not going to miraculously get better or feel more comfortable in the kitchen if you're just like making the same, same green beans every night. Go to the farmer's market. Try new things. You really can't mess up when it comes to cooking because you're always going to learn and you can always adjust. Yeah. And you can always take it out later on. Yeah, Hopefully it's not too strong. Exactly. Um, so every Friday I share five little things that I love. Is there something okay. that you love this week? Ooh. Okay. Um, something that I love. Gosh. I would say right now I'm really loving uh, a new podcast. So I'll recommend that. It's called Biz Chicks with an X. So if anyone's listening that is like you and I, uh, entrepreneurs, especially they focus on female entrepreneurs, it's really interesting. Um, if you're not an entrepreneur, I would just say I'm really loving my microplane in the kitchen. I use it to grate garlic in my smoothies, ginger, I'm sorry, garlic in my salads, ginger smoothies. <laughs> Do not put garlic in your smoothie. That's one place I draw the line. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, but anytime you're using, you know, Parmesan cheese or ginger or garlic, that grater or zest like lemon zest, that microplane grater, it just, it's such a, it's a tool that I can't live without. In fact, I have more than one of them in case one's in the dishwasher. So there's my little tips. <laughs> Good tip. And Liz, I'm sad to say goodbye, but where can people find you? All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fun talking to you. Um, anyone can find me at the lemon bowl on Instagram or the lemon or Facebook, the lemon bowl, Pinterest, the lemon bowl, but hit me up on Instagram. I know you guys all have an Instagram account. <laughs> so yeah, say if hello. If you don't like, start one. <laughs> exactly. And then if you want to check out my podcast, it's called passion to profit, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Awesome. Liz, I had so much fun talking to you and seeing your face again. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so good to catch up. I'm so glad you're able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Liz Delacroix for joining us today. She always inspires me with her business savvy and her ability to share positive messages, whether it's about food, fitness, work, or travel. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.